0: Matthew chapter six gives us um, quite a bit of information, and we're going to uh, kick off with verses nine through thirteen, and and stay within those parameters this morning. But one of the the keys of our Christian faith is relationship. I'll say that again. The most important key in our Christian faith is relationship. To come to church out of duty or some religious necessity does not build relationship. In fact, it can only enhance our fear and our dependency on our own feelings or the world instead of having a rich relationship with an everlasting God. And at every twist and turn in the Bible, it's, it's that story of God trying to get people into relationship with Him trying to get them to trust him trying to get them to a place that he has already provided for them trying to get them to understand who they are in him trying to lead them into His blessing, trying to bring them into freedom, trying to free them from their sickness, trying to heal them as a nation. Over and over again, it's all about relationship. And and this is a a big area, even in our lives today, where we struggle because we're more isolated than ever. We tend to look to our phones. We tend to cocoon ourselves, even though the whole family may be in the house. We've all got our phones, we've all got our TVs, we've all got our devices, and though we're all in the house together, nobody's interacting, nobody's talking. In fact, we're texting, sitting in the same room. This is the world we live in now. And while it's easy to blame technology, the fault lies with us. Nobody makes us put that thing in our hand. Nobody makes us disconnect from the world. Nobody makes us disconnect from God except for us. And I think that this prayer that we're going to study this morning should help us get a rich connection with God. See, I think that there's two things that connect us uh, pretty intimately with God. The first being prayer, and the second being trouble. (laughs) When we're in trouble, we tend to run to God. We tend to get to the end of ourself, and when we're not, we don't think that much about Him unless you've again established a relationship. And when your relationship is in trouble, you begin to think different thoughts than you ever thought before. When your relationship with your spouse or your boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever you're in relationship with, or your boss, any any type of relationship, when something is wrong in the relationship, you begin to question things that you never questioned before. You begin to see things you never saw before. You begin to ask questions you never asked before because something's wrong in the relationship. And Jesus wanted to make sure that our relationship with God was good and solid. Because he knew there was going to be trouble. He knew there was going to be trials for us. He knew there was going to be hard paths for us to walk. He knew there was going to be decisions. He knew there was going to be competing interests where there's other things and other people and technology and work and all kinds of things that are trying to drag us out of his relationship. And so I want to go with this premise as as we as we begin uh, uh, two or three weeks here. I'm, I'm really waiting on God to see exactly how he's going to lead me in this. But This is what I want you to understand. There is no doubt that what you're walking through and the things that you struggle with is real. But so is God. Let me say that again. There is no doubt that what you're walking through and the struggles that you're dealing with is real. But so is God. And so as real as that struggle is, and as powerful as that struggle is, and as hurtful as that struggle is, realize that God is just as real and present for you. And so I want to lead off with this thought process that should guide us through the next several weeks, which is this. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Okay? Prayer should be our first response not our last resort. Because I don't know if you've had these instances. I'm a pretty authentic, uh, I won't say that I'm always transparent because there's stuff that you don't need to know. (laughs) But I try to be authentic about my faith and my life. And here's the reality. There's times where something has come into my life that I didn't expect. And here's my first thought. What am I going to do? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever asked that? Maybe not even out loud. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Wouldn't it be amazing if our first thought was, I wonder how God's going to handle this? If that's the rich relationship that we had, that went mess that we can't even fathom, I don't know what to do about this, but our first thought was, I wonder how He's going to deal with this. Wouldn't that be amazing if that was our first thought? I wonder how God's going to deal with this. Right? Right? Now, we think, oh, that can't be possible. But Melissa just shared something that, again, sparked a, I have a, a, an incredible, sometimes a twisted imagination, but it won't be twisted today, so it's all right. I think about our little grandchildren on this trip. They didn't worry about anything. I wonder what seat we're going to sit in. They didn't think about that at all. I wonder if they're going to have food for us. I wonder if Mimi's going to buy something for us. I wonder what the number is of our flight. I wonder what hotel we're going to stay at. I wonder if the airport's going to be clean. I wonder, they don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You know what they do? They play till they're exhausted. They go to sleep. We feed them. They play till they're exhausted. They go to sleep. We feed them. And there's a relationship that they just know that they're going to be taken care of. Why can't we have that with God? But that means we have to retrain our brain because the reason that we don't trust God is that we've had human relationships that have failed us. And there's been times that we've wanted things from God that He never promised to give us. And then we shake our fist and we say, where were you? And most of the times when we do that, it's the stuff that we did and the bad decisions we did and the dumb choices we made that put us in that spot. And then we blame God, but we rarely blame us. But what if we actually decided, before I make this decision, I'm going to pray first. Before I get into this relationship, I'm going to pray first. See, because if you don't pray first, you'll be praying later, praying, God, why did you bring this guy into my life? Why did you let him break my heart? Why did this addiction come? Why did this... How about we pray first... Instead of it being our last resort, that when we've exhausted ourselves, and you've done everything, and you've whined and complained, and you've bell and you've made everybody else miserable in your life, then you decide, maybe I'll pray. How about we pray first, not make it our last resort? That's the concept that I want us to get through. So I believe Jesus gives us this. And if you've read this, you've probably heard this. You've been taught this. If you're uh, 40 or older, you probably learned this in Sunday school. You even had to recite it. Your parents are probably radical and made you learn this prayer. Maybe you've got it on a plate somewhere in your house or it's in a picture frame that's been meant. So this is not new this morning, but I think we can take a, a different fresh look at it this morning. So here's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. And again, don't get hung up on that word. That just means followers, okay? Your disciples this morning, I hope that means that you're following Jesus Christ. There's nothing super spiritual about it. It's just a matter of if he's going there, I'm going to follow him. If he's doing this, I'm going to do what he does. That's what a disciple is. Okay? Here's what he says, beginning in verse nine. In this manner, and, and the reason he's telling us this is, he's he's showing them, hey, you've heard other people pray. I don't want you to learn to pray like that. So I want you to pray like this. And and also before we get started, this, is not a formula. This is not something magical or some way to twist God's arm to make Him do. If if you can twist God's arm, He's not God. What this is, is a way to lead us into a right and aligned relationship with our Heavenly Father, okay? So don't get hung up in the words, and, and again, some of the older versions use hallowed and all of these and thighs and these. Find a, a, a version you like and that you can understand, and the, the pattern is still the same because it's about God, all right? So here we go. So in this manner, or in this way, or follow this example, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debtors, as we forgive our debtors or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, it's not about memorization, it's not about getting it in the right order, it's really none of that, and, and what he's trying to explain here is something interesting, and, and as I was reading through this and studying it, what I found very interesting as I read through that, never once in that pattern does he say, I. He says, us, a lot. Did you notice that? Us, forgive us, lead us. Help us. Because Jesus is somebody that understands relationship, not only with God and the Holy Spirit, but He understands the relationship of people and how important relationship is. And He's trying to help them understand that when when we focus our prayers just on me, when my prayers are about me, 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 I, 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 we're out of alignment and we ruin our prayer life and we begin to disconnect from God instead of saying, I'm going to direct it to us. Let's talk about us right? Now, now maybe that's not how you learn to pray, but I'm telling you, maybe it's time to give this way a, a change. Maybe the reason you're not seeing what you wanted to see in your prayer life is because you've been doing it wrong. And you're saying, Pastor, is there really a wrong way to pray? Yes, there's a wrong way to pray. <laughs> or he wouldn't have said, how about we do it this way? Think about your relationship. Um, Don't raise your hand this morning because they might be sitting next to you. Have you ever met somebody that when you go to talk with them, it's all about them? And you think, this feels like a one sided relationship. Every time we go to lunch, it's all about you. And I start to say something, and then you cut in, and you got to tell me, and you got to share this, and you got to do this, and you got to, and I've got this issue, and I got this stuff, and I've had the blah, blah, blah. and, And you're thinking, Okay, I guess I'm just going to be a good listener today. And there's really no dialogue back and forth. The conversation is not about us. And here Jesus is saying, you want to know how to have a great relationship? You want to know how to have a really great prayer life? Make it about us. Not just about you. So here we go. We need to connect with God relationally notice this, he says, our Father in heaven. See, that's a relationship, right? And he uses that word on purpose. He doesn't say our God. It's hard to connect with a God who has always been, always will be. He never can die. He has always been alive. He has never been seen. He has never been felt. He has never been approached unless he's covered himself either in thick clouds and darkness, and even then he scares people with rumblings and peals of lightning, and people back up, they disconnect. That's scary to me, and they back away from God's presence. And then Jesus comes along, and he blows their minds, and he says, I want you to call him Abba, which is their word for Father. And the Pharisees freak out. This is blasphemy. This is all the religious people. You can't say he's your father. You're just a man. And yet God himself in flesh, Jesus, says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to understand there's a rich connection, that God wants a relationship with you, not to just think of some distant God someplace, but a father, a father who knows you, a father who who cares for you? A father who is prepared for you, a father who protects you. And so he says, "Our Father in heaven, we need to have a relational connection." Romans eight fifteen tells us: this, "Look at you have not received a spirit of fear that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when He did what? Look at this. He adopted you. Are you seeing the relationship now?" And you may be saying, I don't think of God that way, or I don't think of my father that way. He wasn't a good father. This is a good father. We sang about this this morning, of who he is and how he is. But he has adopted us as his own children, and now we call him Abba, Father. Now, for those of you that aren't Bible geeks and you don't read this a lot, I'm just going to tell you, those are the same word, and he's just translating it for us. So if you have the process of saying "I call him Abba, Father," really what you're saying is "I call him Father, Father," and you sound kind of funny. So just realize Abba is Father. Okay, that makes sense. The the Bible's kind of strange in that way; it repeats itself to give emphasis at times, and so they didn't have boldface, underlines, and all caps like we do. You know, I mean, it's only in today's modern world that somebody can send you a text and you think they're shouting at me. And nobody said a word, right? God is trying to make an example here of of repeating it twice saying, He is Abba, Father. And for the the benefit, just so we can move forward from this is, if you really want to know why I did this, is that in His plan, and this is so awesome, and, and maybe it's not so awesome to you, but it is to me. God had his plan all along that he was going to have his special people, the Jews, and he wanted them to call him Abba. But God had a much bigger vision, and he knew he was also coming to rescue the Gentiles, that's you and me, who don't have a Jewish background that wouldn't understand Abba, but everybody understands Father. And whether you had a good one or not is irregardless of of how this feels. I'm telling you that God is good. You may not always like what he does and how he does it, but just like you didn't like how your dad did stuff, just understand he's a good, good father. And we can connect with him relationally, not out of duty, not out of fear, not out of need, not out of debt, but we respect him and we say, I want to, a God that's so close. He is. he is Father. And that was the, really what he's trying to help them see here is all these people are praying in a matter where God is disconnected and they're just going through the routine. They're just saying things because they think that somehow just saying stuff is going to bring some result. He's like, I want you to understand you've got a Father up there that wants to provide for you, that wants to love you, that wants to shelter you, that wants a relationship with you. That's why I put Romans in there. He has adopted you. That's even bigger. He chose you. Yes, you were the ugly, mutated, no kid, everybody hated kid at the orphanage, and he stepped in and said, I want you. (laughs) I mean, it's different. I mean, let's be honest. We've all got people in our life that we say, they had to be part of the family, didn't they? But God chose us. <laughs> That's amazing. He looked down on a sinful, messed up, dark, brutal, selfish planet, and he says, I want those kids. Those are my kids now. I'm, I'm adopting them. They're going to they're gonna have my name. They're going to have everything that I've got. They're, I'm going to bring them into my place. My house is going to be their house. That's connection. That's not some duty-bound, follow the rules, or you're going back to the orphanage. This is forever, folks. When he says he's never going to leave us, he's never going to reject us, that's forever. There's no going back to the orphanage for us. I am a child of God, like I said earlier this morning. But that's relationship, and if you don't have a relationship with him this morning, today's a great day to start that, okay? And maybe it's just through this simple prayer of you saying, God, I really need a father. I never, never really had a good father. I never saw what that role model was like, but I, I'd like one. Then he moves on and he says, now that you've connected with him, now, now let's worship his name. And he uses the word hallowed, which means holy, which means set apart. And, and it's to be used in a manner that's not common, that's not just like, oh, it's an everyday thing. When something's hallowed and, and holy, that means it's special. And, and God is special, and that's the, that's the thing. He is, he is so close and personal, and yet we've got to remember that he is still a holy, righteous God. And I know that's hard for us today where everybody's the same and we're working so hard to make everybody the same, but God wanted diversity. That's why He made us so different. And He loves the diversity. He says, I can love you all even if you don't all agree. I can love you all even if you're not the same. I love you anyway. Think about you. If you've got kids, your kids are different and you love them anyway. And sometimes the kids that are the worst mess, your heart breaks most for them. just like God does with us. So we need to worship His name. Proverbs 18 and 10 from the Message Version says, God's name is a place of protection or refuge. The righteous can run there and be safe. That's a good God. That's a, that's a big daddy. When I'm in trouble, I want to run to big daddy. <laughs> but again, it's relationship. It's hard to worship somebody you don't know. It's easy to sing songs. It's a whole different level to be in worship. I can watch American Idol. I can watch The Voice. I can watch and lead talent shows. And these people can sing. The question is, will they worship? Because worship and singing can be polar opposites. If you don't know who you're singing about, you're just singing. You're not worshiping. I sing and I worship because I know who He is and I know what He's done for me. And I realize that even though I'm not perfect, I am still His and I'm going to be His until He comes back to get me or I die. And it's the same with you. Your promise is the same as my promise. I'm not special. You're the same. He loves us all the same. That's what's awesome. And He is worthy of that. And He is a place we can go and find protection. Yes, there's trouble. Yes, you can find stuff that's going to hurt you physically. But in the long run, when all the checks have been cashed, I'm going to heaven and nothing affects that. I can run with that. So first we connect with Him rationally, then we worship His name. Now think about who's teaching this. This, this should blow you away. Who's teaching this to the disciples? Okay? Now I'm going to put it real basic here because I realize, n- nope, I haven't been to seminary. <laughs> I don't know about you. but This is why this is so awesome because the Bible is made for anybody, any place. Did you know that Jesus is God? right? He's just God in human form, and the reason that He came is so that He wouldn't be a distant God, so He'd have a relationship, so we'd see a person with skin on just like us, that talks like us, and walks like us, and hurts like us, and eats like us, and, and He's showing us, I, it's hard to follow me when you can't see me. It's hard because I, I make you afraid when I come into your presence. How about I take on a form that looks like you, and then I show you how to live, and if God is telling them how to be in relationship with God, don't you think that's a pretty good understanding that Jesus wanted to be in right relationship with God at all times? And whenever Jesus got into the mix of things, guess what he did? He prayed. And you read that a lot. He went off as was his custom to pray. He went a little way off to pray. See, he understood that prayer should be his first response, not his last response resort. Even before his crucifixion, which he knew he was coming to, he even prayed, saying, God, if there's some other way. (laughs) But if not, you let me know. Your will be done. That's relationship. That leads us to a next one, which is to pray his agenda first. When I said that there's no I in here, it's about us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. See, that's, that's so contrary to most of our modern prayer ways and patterns today is it's not about your kingdom and your way it's about i've got this and i need that and why haven't you done this what if we actually got back into this pattern and say lord i want to establish your kingdom i want your kingdom to be great and i want your will to be done because i trust that my father knows how to take care of my needs and I shouldn't have to ask Him. Guess what? He'll take care of my needs. It doesn't mean I get to sit back and all of a sudden food appears on my table. We still have the process of life, but guess what? He knows how to take care of our needs. And he lead us in that pattern. But we need to be able to pray His agenda first. In fact, Matthew 6, a little farther down the page, says this, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Notice this, who's this about? Because when I connect right with Him, then things are going well for me. When I don't connect well with Him, things don't go well for me. And maybe that's where you're at this morning, is you feel disconnected. You feel like you've got no power. You feel like, man, I pray, but it's just some duty. It's just some pattern. And, or maybe you're the person that you just, you live kind of a religious Christian life that the only reason you pray is because you're about to eat and while that is okay if that's your prayer life you've completely disconnected yourself from a powerful God that wants to be in your everyday life not just at mealtimes and not just as an exclamation that you've learned oh thank God <laughs> I mean the rest of the world says that and they don't even believe in God oh thank God which I think is kind of funny the people that don't believe in God just say oh thank God to tell you what you'll find out how many people believe in God when the airplane ride gets bumpy. Right? And all these people who think that Christians are morons and the Bible is a bunch of made-up stuff and that plane starts to go and they grip the things and they say, Oh, God. And I want to lean over and say, Who are you talking to? Did you say God? (laughs) Just a side note, I find it funny we were on an airplane this week that Every airplane ride I've been on, they say the same thing. And I think it's just so funny, uh, given that I've experienced human behavior for for 50 years now, and I think that it is so funny that they say, in the case of trouble on the airplane and the airbags drop down, please put it on your face and breathe normally. Smoke is filling the plane. The plane is heading straight down. Wings are falling off. Because <laughs> nobody's going, right? I mean, come on. Let's be honest. That's really what's happening on the plane, right? I mean, I'd be a little freaked out if everybody's just like, That would be surreal. But what they want you to know, because they go to the next thing, even though that bag doesn't fill with air, <laughs> there's air in it. Prove it. Come on, all you facts people. If that bag doesn't fill with air, there's nothing in it. Or is there? Great question. We need to pray his agenda first. We need to connect with him relationally. We need to worship his name. We need to pray his agenda first. Then the next one we need to depend on him. This one's tough, especially in our Western world. We've got so much at our disposal, we don't need God to live. And that's not sacrilege this morning, and I'm not practicing some separation from God. I'm just telling you that we are so blessed, we are, have so much abundance at our hands, that even the people that consider themselves poor have so much that we don't need God. Until that's all taken away, until we find ourselves in a spot we can't help ourselves, and then we try to turn to God, and then it's weird because it's, a, it's no relationship. And we don't trust Him, and we give Him about two minutes to figure out our problems and then we move on. Oh, God didn't intervene. God didn't fix this. God, how about we depend on him for everything? Look at what he told the disciples. Give us this day our daily bread. How about we depend on him for even our food each day? You see, we don't, we don't see that much, but you go back south and about an inch of snow falls and the stores are picked clean. <laughs> And then what are you going to do? Now you fast forward to our generation. You don't have power. You don't know how to cook. Even if you did get food, you don't have a microwave. The truck stopped running, so nobody's bringing stuff to the stores. How do we live like every generation did before us? (laughs) But we're so disconnected. He says we've got to depend on Him for everything. Psalm 121, 1 and 2, He says, I look to the mountains, but does my help come from them? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Earth. If God is God and can make all the planets and put them in the proper alignment and rotate our earth so we get the nice summers and the winters and he keeps the ocean swirling the way that they're supposed to and we get hot and cold and night and day. I think he can handle my little human problems. But what's hard is our ego and our arrogance get in the way we don't want to depend on him because that means that we're not the center of our universe and what happens if he doesn't give me what i want when i want it where i want it and he gives us really generic thing give us give us our bread today see the problem is he's speaking to people that knew all the stories from the old testament and if you want to see an interesting story go back to when god is leading his people out and they begin to complain that they're hungry Now he's just parted a sea, he's just freed them from Egypt, he's done something that nobody could do in 400 years, (laughs) and then they get out in the desert and they begin to, instead of saying, oh God, you are so good, this is awesome, well where's the food? Did you just leave us out in the desert to die? And if you read the whole passage in there. It says that he led them in the desert to try to help them build a relationship. He wanted to get the slavery out of them and wanted them to depend on him because he would guide them and lead them into great lands. Lands, quote, flowing with milk and honey. But he hadn't led them there yet. They get anxious. They begin to fold their arms and pout like little spoiled children. Well, where's the food? He says, okay. In the morning, I'm going to Give you something and said it would look like a coriander, see, kind of white, and it was sweet, so it was kind of like our modern day frosted flakes. Again, my imagination. We're hungry, we get up in the morning, we haven't had to work, we just went to sleep. We get up in the morning and we see what appears to be dew on the ground, but it's not dew on the ground, it's frosted flakes. This is awesome. (laughs) And again, for those of you who don't read the Bible enough, somebody said, "What is it?" And his buddy said, "Manna," which means I don't know. (laughs) It's funny because we always think, "Oh, manna must mean no." Manna means I don't know what it is. (laughs) And they go out and they collect it. Now here's what's awesome, and everybody had enough. But he gave the special instruction, on the day where you come to worship me, since no work is supposed to be done, I want you to understand this is a day set apart for me. I want you on Saturday, our day of preparation, to gather twice as much. They did, and, and it was fine. But he said, if you try to do that any other day, it's going to spoil and stink and get worms in it. Now they put that to the test. That's what's so funny. God said it. He provided frosted flakes when they didn't even have to work for it, and yet we got greedy, and somebody said, well what if I want some during the night when I wake up? And they took some extra, and when I woke up in the morning, it stank, it was spoiled, and it had worms in it. But the extra on Sunday didn't stink, didn't have worms in it, and was just perfect. That's God. It wasn't a problem of the man, it was a problem of the heart. And that's our problem with depending on him is what if there's not enough? It's actually that spirit of fear. What if it doesn't last? What if he really can't heal me? What if he can't fix my marriage? What if I can't do this? What if I don't get to retire? Did, and by the way, do you know he never promised to let you retire? That's an Americanism. That's, okay. But we have that driving in us. What if, what if? What if? What if? What if it's not enough? What if I'm not enough? What if she's not enough? What if this isn't enough? What if this car isn't enough? What if the it, we have this spirit of lack of what if? It, what if it's if I run out? That's why we have God, who promises to give us what we need, but not what we greed. We want more than we need, and so He says, the psalmist says. You can look up to these big things that seem to be so impressive and mighty, these mighty mountains, but our help doesn't come from there. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And if He can make heaven and earth, He can find provision for me. So not only do we need to depend on Him, we need to get our hearts right. Look what He says. It's a big one. And this is what I would call a hinge statement, right? Hinge is what connects two things and still allows for, for movement. Forgive us our debts. Right? I want you to forgive me, Lord, as I forgive others. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? And that's that's powerful, but it can also be a little scary. Who have you not forgiven? Maybe that's what's hindering your prayer life. Maybe that's what's hindering your relationship. Maybe that's the disconnect is he says, we're going to be forgiven as we forgive. You can't forgive. Maybe he won't forgive. Maybe that's the problem with your heart. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe that's the sticking point. You've got to get past that and just say, forgive us we've been in debt to you, we've all messed up, we've all failed, we've all done stuff we wish we didn't do, and we've done stuff that we did do, and then we realized that was a stupid thing to do. But he said, I want you to learn this, to forgive other people, just like we forgive our debt to people. And it's not just a money debt, but the debt of all things of our life. First John says this, if, that's an important word, if we confess our sins, then He is faithful. What if we don't confess our sins? That's a great question, isn't it? He is faithful and He's just and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, this is a heart issue. This is not a, a mechanism of just saying, I'm sorry. This is a, I realize... I needed the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. In fact, I need it a lot. And if I need a lot, maybe that other person isn't perfect yet, and I can forgive them. <laughs> See, the problem is, we want the barrel full of forgiveness, but when it comes to somebody else, we use a thimble. Sorry, you've used up your forgiveness for the day. But we never want that in return, because then when somebody doesn't forgive us, then they're jerks, and they're insensitive, and they're unkind, and they're not a Christian, and I thought you were... And he says in various places, in the manner in which you give, in the manner in which you judge, in the manner in which you forgive, it's a hinge dependent on what you're doing and how you do it. We need to get our heart right. Who needs to be forgiven in your life? I think there's a good spot to pray before we finish off because this is a sticking point And maybe this is an overgeneralization, but I'll tell you what. As Christians, we should be the most forgiving, easygoing people on the planet. And yet, what I see in the world today is the complete opposite of that. I see a lot of hatred. I see a lot of separation. I see a lot of boundaries. I see a lot of comparison. I see a lot of complaining and whining and demanding. And I don't see a lot of forgiving and easygoing. And maybe that's why the world doesn't care about our message of love and forgiveness when we practice it so poorly. And so maybe this is a great time for us to pray and if you've got somebody again, this is by faith (laughs) that you know somebody has done you wrong and even now you're thinking of somebody (laughs) that you maybe said, oh I forgive them but there's still a spot in your heart. So let's pray right now. Father we clear that debt sheet right here. Nobody owes me anything. I'm not entitled. I don't deserve anything. It doesn't matter if I was right or wrong, if that other person was right or wrong. It doesn't matter the circumstances, the situation. It doesn't matter what was said or the words that were used. I forgive. I forgive all of those people that have hurt me, all of those people that have lied about me, that have told stories, that have that have abandoned me, that have rejected me, that have unfriended me, that unfollowed me, that all of these things that we find so offensive, Lord, I clear that debt package right here and now and nobody owes me a thing. My, my dad who was horrible, my dad who has left, my mom who, who, who sent us away, I clear the ledger right here and now. And I ask that you'd forgive them, Lord, because I want to be forgiven and I want to walk in forgiveness. I'm not perfect and neither are they. So clear the balance sheet this morning so that my heart can be right with you, God. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, Lord. Amen. You see, this is so much different when we break down these into components than just praying, Our Father who art in heaven. I mean, you can do that almost without thinking and without any relational context. (laughs) That's why this is so important. Not only do we have to depend on him and get our heart right, but then he leads us that once your heart is right, now we can start fighting the right fights. Here's what he says. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Notice he said that there was going to be temptation, and he pointed to the fact that there is an evil one. Right? We're living in a world today that people don't even believe that that's true. We're just who we are, and that's just the way that I am, and that's how I'm wired, and there's not really a devil. That's just a a myth of modern uh, theology. I'm telling you that Jesus said there was a devil, and if Jesus said there was a devil, there's a devil. If He said there's temptation, there's temptation. And He also says that God isn't the God of temptation. He's not going to lead you into temptation. The problem is you're going to lead you into temptation, and I'm going to lead me into temptation. James talks about this. He said, we're led away by our own lust. We're led away by those things. We're the one leading us there. But if we remember that we've got God, remember us, right? I'm going to tell on my wife for a minute because she is a wonderful Mimi. And we use the word Mimi for, for Grandma. The hardest job she ever has is to discipline grandchildren. because she loves them. And it's different than don't run out in front of the truck. (laughs) But when my beautiful little granddaughter at three gets an attitude, Mimi doesn't want to spank her. Mimi doesn't want to give her time out. Mimi doesn't want to do anything until she gets upset then she just wants to strangle her. She'd never say that. That's why she hits me. Um. But there's a warfare going on of who's going to be boss, a three-year-old or Mimi. And she is so dramatic. I love her. She's teaching me so much about God. Because when she gets in one of those little moods, she begins to use her hands. No, I don't want And I want to grab her little hands and pull her in close and say, I don't care what you want. You're going to do it. But you can't rationalize with a three-year-old, right? They just want what they want. Now, let's be honest. Are we that much different (laughs) with God? Where there's times we're like, God, why aren't you? And I bet you he would pull us in close and say, It's not all about you. It's warfare. The people around you are not the problem. And that's what he's trying to get them to understand. These people that you see that you think are the problem, they're not the problem. There's a spiritual battle, both inside from you and you and the devil who's fighting you. Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle isn't with people, and if you can get that this morning, maybe that's the biggest thing you could ever walk in for the rest of your life. Your struggle, your problem is not people. But I hear that a lot. I don't know what's wrong with these people. What's up with those people? You know what's up with those people? They're people. Hurt people, lost people, messed up people, selfish people, they're just people. That's what's up with those people. But our struggle is not with people. Last but not least, not only do we have to realize that we're in a warfare, but we need to express our faith in God's ability. And again, this circles back around to relationship. If you don't trust the person that you're in relationship with, you're not going to trust their ability to help you or to do the things that they say they do because there's something wrong in the relationship. And yet, Jesus tells them, yours is the kingdom. Who's in control of this kingdom? Who made the heavens and the earth according to Psalm? We didn't, right? If yours is the kingdom... And the power, who has the power to fix things? Right? And the glory, who deserves the glory? See, that's the problem. We want our kingdom, and we want the power, and we want the glory. And it doesn't go well for us, we don't know how to handle that stuff. But if we can put it back in His hands and trust, it's your kingdom, it's by your power and it's for your glory. My life is for your glory. If you can use me to establish some power and establish your kingdom, then let it be so, God. Instead of, I've got to have mine, and I've got to make me, and I've got to keep my kingdom. And I've even seen this in the church. People can't get past their own little kingdom. This is my ministry, and this is my thing, and this is, it's all God's kingdom. This is not my church. You are not my people. You are God's people, and this is God's church. Regardless of who we pay taxes to or what land or whoever owns all that, you are the church. And we belong to God, the creator of heaven and earth. Jeremiah says this in 32. He says, Oh, sovereign Lord. Now think about that word for just a minute. You know what sovereign means? Stands alone, ultimate power. That's what sovereign means. He is the sovereign Lord. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. He has been and always will be. You have made the heavens and the earth by your grace. Did you notice that? That he didn't ask us how to make the earth? He didn't ask us how to take care of it. In fact, he made it all and he says, why don't you go and manage this for me? and I'll show you how to live, and I'll show you how to take care of it. But the problem is, since Garden of Eden, there's been a wrestling match of who belongs to who and what belongs to who. And maybe that's where your disconnect is this morning too. You've forgotten that you're His, not the other way around. Right? Whose kingdom are you establishing? Whose future are you establishing? Whose glory... Are you trying to put out there yours or his?